the book of Isaiah, and we were talking about that it's not only relegated to the church today, but a lot of people in the secular world are talking about fasting, and some of the largest selling books now is on fasting, some areas of fasting, and I guess I don't know how much it, it has changed in the spiritual bookstores, because we don't have bookstores the way they used to be since every, a lot of things are online or whatever. And Lifeweight Books, that was the Baptist uh, bookstore. And it was two or three bookstores here on Government Street that went out. You know, so a good bit of that is on, on online now or whatever. But in the secular world, they're doing a good bit of fasting. And the fasting that they're doing, a lot of it is for uh, weight loss. A lot of it is for body cleansing and um, for detoxification of the body. You know, they do different types of fasting or whatever. And then with the onslaught of the ninja and the food processes and everything, there are more people taken to having liquid diets today. You know, and they liquefy spinach and all types of energy drinks and everything. So... In the Old Testament, it was giving up food and drinking. You notice where they would say giving up food and drink. And as I tell you, a spiritual fast, an extraordinary fast where God was involved was, was two fasts that I can tell you about. Was Moses was 40 days and Jesus was 40 days. But you don't hear too many more of those type in the Bible. It's not commanded in the Bible. Only on the Day of Atonement was the one day that a fast was commanded. But Jesus relegated it to says when it came to him and asked him, said, well, why don't your disciples fast as John the Baptist's disciples fast? And Jesus said, well, they can't fast when the bridegroom is with them, but when he's gone, they will fast. So what fasting does, it builds spiritual muscles and it's similar to tidy. There's no commandment on either one of the two, but it's something that we do voluntarily when being filled with the Spirit. So there were different fastings, and I think last week when I was going over the fastings with Paul, he says, in fasting and hunger and being without sometimes. Fasting is different from being hunger or without because sometimes you just don't have food to eat. You know, you just, you're, it's a forced fast. A forced fast is not actually a fast, whereas a fast is voluntary when you have and you sustain from fasting to communicate with God uh, to build a spiritual union with God, a stronger spiritual union with God. So after we clarify that, the first seven chapters, verses of that eight verse that they were fasting for reasons of national calamity national catastrophe and we notice that sometimes people say national prayer day and all of these things but they were in Babylonian captivity and they were fasting so that they would be returned to their land that they would overthrow the enemy but their inward parts hadn't changed. In other words, 
it was a man-made fast. It wasn't, he said, is this is a fast that the Lord had declared because it wasn't repentance in their fasting. They wasn't doing the things that he would constitute them to do in the fast. Uh, it was the fourth verse where it says, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fists of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul as it is to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Uh, Will thou call this a fast an acceptable day of the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke is not to deal thy bread to the hunger and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thine house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh now with after summarizing about the fast this is where we start at today it says then shall thine light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thine righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thine re- reward. In other words, God's going to cover your back. God's gonna, God will have you when this is a voluntary fast, as I, I was saying, when you do the things required of God. The Old Testament shows you what the people were doing, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, which is the New Testament, in which is he is the light to the Gentiles, and the Old Testament is the law, and it was of the Jews. It was a Judeo law, and that's why Judeo-Christianism is different than Christianity. Don't get the two mixed up and that's why I tell you I always talk about Christian nationalism and that him fighting against the church at this time because the biggest battle we have is within the church there are more people under the guise of Christianity they can do you more harm that's why it says your enemies will be those from within your own household because someone closer to you someone uh, as I was telling you about the Republican Party, they kind of act as though the Republicans are conservative, mean that they're Christians, where that's not the case. Only God knows the heart, those that are Christians, those that are true children of God. So it can't be labeled in that fashion, in that way, just as fasting, just because you fast doesn't mean you're more spiritual or anything else than anyone else because that's what the Pharisees did. He says, well, I'm not like this public and I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. When he was comparing himself with religion, don't get me wrong, religion is vital, but religion is very dangerous because religion can have a form and it's a belief system religion is a belief system whereas Christianity what God does he circumcises the heart he makes you a Jew inwardly it's a circumcision of the heart 
he makes you a child of God. So it's not the hearing of the law or someone compelling or bringing you under the law. It's the freedom that's in Jesus Christ and that you're in faith, that you develop faith in him and your testimony that he's the living witness within you. That's why it says you must be born again. When you're born again, Christ promises that he would send the Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. Now, when he sent that Spirit to lead you and guide you in all truth and you're born again, that's when it's not what your pastor say. Don't idolize your pastor. Don't idolize your spouse or your children or anyone else. It's what God tells you. Yes. It's what he's leading you by his spirit. Those that are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. It's no longer what man says. Now, once you get to where you believing and have faith in him and following him, that's when he says here in that eighth verse, he says, Then shall your light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. Fasting does have health effects. A lot of times your body may need detoxification, but it's not that you're doing that to lose weight. It's not that you're doing it for detoxification. You're doing it to, to sacrifice that which is necessary, that which your body or that which is a pleasure to you. Because later on he says, if you would sustain from doing your own pleasure, if you would give up that that gives you pleasure or your desires and sacrifice that for time with him. Yes. That's why fasting has to be mixed with prayer. That's why it says prayer and fasting. So if you go fast and it's dedicated to God, it's giving up whatever pleasure and like I said, there di are, were different types of fast. So you can just give up food, but not necessarily drink, you know, water or whatever. And I wouldn't say drink energy drinks and all of the other nutrients that substitute for food anyhow. But you can fast away from the television or fast away from golf or fast away from uh, reading, whatever that bring, brings you pleasure because... Under Jesus Christ, it's a more wide envelope. In other words, some people are not gluttonous or not like food or whatever. And like I was telling you, well, Dickon, you may not want to fast or whatever. You know, my wife, she doesn't fast or whatever because as I was looking at the phone there of her sugar level, there's a lot of people for medical reasons can't fast or they shouldn't fast. And if you're fasting for beautification and you're fasting for health reason, that's not a spiritual reason. That doesn't, that's what he was saying here, that they were fasting for physical reasons and not spiritual reasons. It has to be for closer communion or closer walk with God. And that's why godly sorrow brings about a time of fasting, a time in which you dedicate that to God. You know, if you uh, use the example, I think the other day of a young man, a young woman losing her boyfriend, her husband, or whoever that was close to her, a bad relationship, or something happens, 
You know, you so love sick that you can't eat. You know, you've lost your appetite because why? You and the person that you love, I, I you know, I, I can't eat without it. You know, I was telling my wife the other day, I just, it's not the same going to bed without it. She's in New Orleans and I'm here or whatever. Out of the 40 some years together, we, we're not that much apart or whatever. Yes, yes. So certain things you can't carry on with. Well, him being the bridegroom, him being the bridegroom, you're saying, Lord, I want a deeper fellowship with you. I want to be more mindful of you. So you're giving up the things and the pleasures of this life. That's why it says the bride, the the children of the bridegroom couldn't fast while the bridegroom was there. Well, why are you with your beloved? You're not fasting. You're living in pleasure and enjoyment. But once the bridegroom is taken away, once the love of your life is gone, once that which tugs at your heart is gone, it causes you to desire or have a loneliness for that which is missing. And that which we're missing here is a spiritual component. It is Christ. So we fast and not, we can't eat because my mind is on him. Well, if someone just passed or something happens to your beloved, well, you can't eat. You've lost your appetite because your child is sick. David couldn't eat. He said he wasn't eating until after the child died. Yes. Sometime if, if someone's in the hospital or someone goes to jail, you done lost your appetite. You done got so far behind on your rent or your light bill. You in such a calamitous or catastrophic situation, you done lost your appetite. Have different things occurred to you to cause you to lose your appetite? That's when you pray to God. That's when you say, well, I'm in a situation. I might have caused a situation or someone else cause the situation, but only God can comfort me in this. Food doesn't comfort me in this. Some people call food comfort food or something. That's what they eat while they're watching television or something. Uh, they can't rest unless they're playing on the video games or doing certain things. Uh, some people say, man, I just have to play golf. I have to do this. Well, whatever you love, you give that pleasure up for God. That's what you look. So on the Day of Atonement, that's why everybody was required to fast because they needed a union with God. But he says, uh, then he will break forth and spring forth and bring your health speedily and thine righteous shall go before thee. The Lord thy God shall be thine reward. Then shall that call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thine soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. In other words, now the reward of your fasting, now, for the reward of what you have done, he's going to reward you for that. God rewards you. Yes. It's the same as he says in the book of Matthew we talked about last week. He says, when you pray, enter into that prayer closet yes. and pray to your Father which is in secret. Well, that same thing, what it was, Matthew, the ninth chapter, the 16th chapter, it says when the bridegroom is fast, they will fast. But don't be as the Pharisees when they fast. 
For when they fast, they disfigure their face. Mm -hmm. They go around in the marketplaces and appearing unto men to fast. So people can look at them and say, oh, what a holy man is he. He's been fasted so many days and look at what drab, how mournful he is. And he says, they have their reward because what they wanted. They wanted the praise of the accolades of men for men to say, well, how, how such a holy man is he, how much he prays or whatever. But he says, when thou fast, it's the same as it was when you prayed. He says, when thou fast, anoint thine head with oil, wash thine face so you won't appear unto men to fast. He said, so you don't seem like you're fasting because if you're going around telling everybody I'm fasting or whatever, well, you, uh, you, you're showing this to men. He says, but your father who seeth in secret, God knows what you're doing. Amen. So you don't have to wear your Christianity on your shoulder. You, you are what you are. Yes. You don't have to tell somebody what you are. What you are comes out. God sees what you are. So he says, your father which seeth in secret, he shall reward you. So the reward's coming from God, and you have his promise that he's going to reward every man according to his deeds, according yes. to his works. So that way you don't know how much anyone else been fasting, how much anyone else has been praying, except those that go around what? Hanging that up on their shoulders, saying they're doing this, and talk is cheap. He says, with their mouth they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. So it's not walking the walk. So here is what we're focusing on here. He's, the 11th verse, he says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thine soul in droth, and make thine bones fat. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. So, due to your fasting, due to you doing out, God's going to be your supply. God's going to be your source. Yes. He's going to cause your bones to be strong, just because you might be small. Now, that's where you might have the joke on me when I said, well, you don't really need to fast. You may need to eat. I said, I know I'm heavyweight. I'm overweight. I'm too big. I say, but you may not need to, but you can't tell because it says by appearances. And you remember that's what fooled Samuel. He was looking at the appearance, yes. but it's God that strengthened the inner man. God strengthens the bones. That's why it says the leaning tree ain't always the first to fall. Yes. So what happens is, it's an internal, as I tell you, the circumcision was in the heart. You want to be strengthened spiritually, and God says he'll do this. He'll be married to your bones. In other words, he's going to strengthen the, hangs that, the arms that hang down. He's going to strengthen the frailties of you. So when he's doing that, he says, and he shall continually guide thee and satisfy thine soul. That's why I keep telling y'all, I'm trying to feed y'all scriptural. Yes. If you study the word of God, he says, study to show yourself approved, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, because you need to know what you believe. Amen. I can only confirm what God is saying to you or putting into you. Yes. 
But if, if you listen at it and you go back and you tell somebody this is what the pastor say, but do you actually believe that? See, they yes. can tell if they put pressure on you whether you believe that or not. You can sit in church and hear somebody say something. You could acquiesce to that. In other words, you could be in agreement with that. But is it real to you? Are you willing to die for that? Do you understand that? Yes. So that's why you have to pray to God for understanding and knowledge. Are you really a Christian? Because it's going to come down to like Peter. Peter was believed in Jesus Christ, but what happened? He was just a physical man. Yes. He would die for Jesus. He said he would fight for him. But that same Peter swore in curse when it came down to those Roman soldiers when they caught him in that yard, when he was in that courtyard, and he seen the hurt those Roman soldiers was putting on Jesus. They was pummeling him. And this young lady came up to him and said, look, he was one of them. He was with the Galileans. Peter denied it. He went a little bit further. He was warming himself to the fire because he had already told Jesus he was willing to die for him. Well, yes. that was all right to say that. He says he was going to do more than the rest of them. Mm. The second woman accused him. Peter says, no, it wasn't. But when the third one come and accused him, and he seen the Roman soldiers took note of that, and he seen that it was about to cause him something. When they about to put the hurt on him, and he seen they buffeted Jesus and hitting him on the face, and they put the crown of thorns on his head, and they said, who smoked thee? And Peter seeing all that. When that fight and that blood and stuff was coming down, and he seen this, he started to swear and curse. The Bible says specifically, he starts to swear and curse. He said, no, I wasn't with you. When you start to see that thing is really real, it's different from talking or talk. When, when your life is on the line. So Peter had a physical failure, and that's what I say. Uh, fasting and anything you do spiritually, you can say you a sacrifice, but when it's about to cost you something, when it's about to cost you your marriage, when it's about to cost you your job, when it's about to cost you your relationship with your family, when all of that's on the line, it's a whole different thing. Yes. Do you actually believe that? That's why they say well, the apostles had to actually believe that. They would, wouldn't have sacrificed all they sacrificed for a lie if Jesus had a swoon and they had stolen the body they wouldn't have carried it that far. Yes. It wouldn't have carried it that far. So I need everyone to assimilate the word of God. In other words, the word of God is living and it's active. So you need to believe the promises of God in this latter day because it's going to be as it was in apostolic time. The church is about to go through great persecution. It's about to go through great persecution. So we had these people during the pandemic with some preachers telling them this and preachers telling them that. But the Spirit led a lot of us to say, well, look, you need to get that vaccine. You need to get that shot. It's different from when they're packing you off and putting you in the back of 18 wheel and burning you and not able to have the feeling and everything. You talking about uh, faith and what God says or whatever. 
Is it faith or is it somebody else saying that? Mm. You know, is it faith or is it actuality? See, because I think God was on the side of with the pandemic because God gave man knowledge. That had to yes. be a, a miracle for them to come up with that that fast because being in the midst of that, I've never seen that kind of death before at that massive a stage. So we trusting and believing the promises of God, faith is just not empty. That preacher or somebody saying these things, and it's easy to say that when your icebox is full. It's easy to say that when your lights are not being turned off. It's a lot of people in Word of Faith churches and different churches. I had some, I don't know, well, let me not make it personal whenever. But I know people that are in those type churches that are scared to ask the preacher, say, well, look, my light's off. I need the bar. So, well, that's what the church is there for. You pay in tithes and offerings or whatever, you shouldn't be afraid or ashamed and say, well, look, we in destitute right now. Well, see, he's got you preached down to the fact that you don't have a faith. You have a lack of faith if you don't have no money to do this. He's trying to keep you out of his pocket. He's trying to keep it. To, but your faith... God's test you in certain areas, but it's not necessarily because of lack of faith because you weren't running the situations and circumstances and all of those things. And I've taught that and told that to all of my grown kids and everything that God doesn't judge on that plane that man says. And sometimes you have to be careful. Do you know God for yourself? And that's what the promises of God here. Now, in this last half, let me... Combine here, he says, he's going to continually guide and satisfy you even in times of drought. Promise to the obedient, those that are obedient to him. So I said, he's going to come in you, live in you, and lead you and guide you. The Spirit's going to guide you into all truth. Psalms 23 and 2, he says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Second Psalm, of the second verse of the 23rd Psalm, right? So his spiritual leading and guiding has prompted you to, you're paying your tithes and offerings, you're doing the certain things. Well, he's not going to tell you to take that which you have to give it away to some uncertainty to where you're not able to rest or you're not secure within the blessing he, he's given unto you. He's going to cause you, he says, to lie down in green pastures and it leads you. He's, he don't, you don't have to have a calamitous life. He's going to give you an inner peace, an inner, inner steel, and you are not to let other people impinge on that and take that away from you. You don't want to lose your peace. Let someone else be upset. Let somebody else walk these roads because... As you grow older and mature in the Lord, you know when it's God and when it's not God. So God, if he's the one that told you, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, uh, don't worry. Uh, don't be anxious for anything. Don't put yourself in predicaments uh, in situations where you losing sleep or rest over these things because he has given you these blessings that if he's your shepherd, He's given you security in him. Yes. You're secure in Christ Jesus. He gives you security in making decisions, in decision making. 
Psalms 25 and 9. It says, the meek will guide, the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. So God's through life then taught us the right decisions to make, the right, how can I say this? A understanding, a knowledge of people. You asking him to tell you, in other words, you ever made a bad decision, but the reason you made that decision was because of pride or because of your heart. You let your heart go before what's real. See, sometimes you can be of a weak heart. People can pray up on your heart. People can pray on your weakness and say, well, you're a Christian. They could appeal to your vanity or your pride. And you give them of something that you have. That's part of the deception or the seductress or the temptation of the devil is appealing to something that you have, appealing to what God has given you. So sometimes the decisions you make is because of the flesh. It, you didn't pray to God about it. Uh, this decision, it would have caused you to look cold-hearted and callous, but that's just how it is sometimes. Sometimes life is hard, and it's the tough decisions you have to make. So don't be naive. Ask God of what decisions that you necessarily have to make. You can't please people all of the time. People will want to do things to please you. But if you have, you know, and I've said this for years, I have six kids and a wife for 40-some years or whatever. But I have my wife and kids and things to think of, so I can't haphazardly make decisions that's going to put them at peril or put that at a position yes, yes. to where it can compromise them. Yes. That's why I have to deny myself my manly pride or ego or sometimes I have to humble myself. I have to look away in, in a, a different position. But God has you with decision-making. The decision-making is if a man can't lead his home, if you can't think about them first, you last. But you have to think about, I have to be in good enough shape to protect them. Yes. So he has to be in your decision-making. But the decision-making has to be scriptural. It has to be scriptural. Um, the living says, the Lord is good and is glad to teach the proper path to all who go astray. He will teach the ways that are right and best to those who humbly turn to him. So if you, and if it's a question about something or whatever, and it's not all the way, all the time that you have time to pray when certain, certain decisions or certain things come up on you unaware. So that's why you have to be prayed up all of the time and trust in Jesus, trust in God, that you're making the right decisions, that you're mindful. Bring It says bring every thought and imagination into the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes. So <clears throat> you have to be, how can I say it? If there's not scripture, and it's not always going to be scripture to back up what you're saying or what you're doing, but it's a process of, uh, can I say deja vu or whatever. If you travel or made those mistakes before, sometimes you learn from those mistakes that you've made. Yes. 
But your decision making is key because he says choose life or choose death. He give you different choices to make. But if you make the wrong choice, it could be carnality that made you make that choice. Mm. I, I, I yes. don't know if I'm getting through here. I, mm. I don't know if I'm yes. saying that quite right. But be aware of making decisions. It's just like our last president. He used to do things. Sometimes men have a way of putting their ego ahead of them or whatever. And sometimes women can sort of sit back in a more submissive role and make a clearer, a better decision because it's not always how things look. It's what things are. Yes. And you have to be sure in the decision you make. And once you make that decision, you got to stick with it. You didn't made it. You got to write that out. If it's a mistake, you can admit that to God, uh, but you didn't pray to God or whatever, but you have to, how can I say it? You have to, be able to stand behind the decision you make, the vow that you didn't made, the decision that you've made. You have to live with that one unless God show you it was wrong. It's Joseph. He was thinking about putting Mary away. He was Mary was pregnant here and he was trying to find a way to put her away privately. God intervened and said, well, look, you about to make a mistake here. She's nothing wrong here. So can you see what I'm saying? Yes. If you're in a calamitous situation, if you're in a situation, he says, a broken and a contrite heart, if you're depending upon God, I can't make this decision. I need you to make the right decision for me, God. Just show me the decision to make. Yes. That's why if Christ is not the head of the man, the man can't leave the house. Just like the man say he's the head of the woman, well, let the woman go back and show me Ephesians where it says you submit to one another. Yes. See, because sometimes she may be, and like I said, I don't want to bring in somebody in my family, but sometimes the woman may be a better financial decision maker than the man does. Yes. It's a lot of things that I like let my wife do and that I don't do because I'll change some things that she don't change. Yes. She don't change some things, whereas I live sometimes, but it's because of, you understand what I'm saying? In other words, anybody that's been married any length of time, no, it's sacrifices to be made. And sometimes if the man can't say, well, sometimes I'm wrong, I'd rather my wife do this because I may go into this blind. But then if he could make the decision, he have to stand up and can't do like Adam and point. But, well, my wife said this and my wife said that. No, you made that decision. Don't blame your wife for that, ultimately. So in decision-making, you understand what I'm saying? In decision-making, be a man or be a woman because a woman has to leave her house. You remember the uh, Proverbs 31 woman in the 31st, she had made a lot of decisions within a, in the home, and the men in the gate would brag upon her because she kept her husband in a good position, and he was dressed nice, and, and she cared for the family, and she yes. built up her home. So she's a help meet to him, and that's the order God has it in. So decision-making, it's a spiritual issue. Yes. And that's why... It says in the book of Corinthians, I don't have that one down here, but it says that the husband and wife, since his body don't belong to him, 
and her body don't belong to her, that they would give themselves to prayer and fasting, that they abstain from relations as husband and wife, that the devil wouldn't enter in, but they have to pray to God in prayer and fasting, so the abstaining from operating as man and wife there with conjugal relations so that they can the marriage can be strengthened in those bonds. Yes. Because like I said, we're in the latter days here. Satan's trying to work his way in any kind of ways and you notice that the marriage he has attacked it with same sex marriage. He's attacked it with all of the the things with open marriages. He's op- he's attacked the fam the nucleus of the family. So don't let these decisions be the backbone that breaks the family. Psalms 32 and 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. I will, if you are willing to learn, I'll direct you with my eye, my eyes upon you to lead you. So that's why I said in unity, the, the wife has to study and know the word of God also because Sometime her intuition or reading or studying the scriptures and with the man, God's going to make a, a decision here that's a, it's a decision of unity. Yes. And if she's error, she may be as strong as Sarah was, and that's why they say the women should be as Sarah was. Sarah came back and told Abraham, says, my bad decision be upon you. She admitted to that was a bad decision for, that she made that for Abraham to go into Hagar, her handmaid, and now the handmaid was rejecting her and looking down on the Sarah as her mistress. And she says, you have to put her out. Well, less than a man would cast his child out into the wilderness. This is a decision making. He's out in the desert. He's going to die. You just give him a little water and stuff on the back, and she's going to die. That He knows that as a man. So this woman didn't come to me. You the one put me in this woman's bed. Now you're telling me to throw her and my child out in the desert. They're going to die. Right? But you remember I just not told you, that's a carnal decision. That's Old Testament. That's as a man. He where God in his ear. Abraham was right thinking as a man it was going to die. But you remember I told you about Joseph and Mary a while ago. God intervenes. He says, Abraham, listen at Sarah what she's saying. Now you remember the reason he told Adam, he said he brought a curse upon Adam and the curse was the ground because what? You listen at your wife. But he, God intervenes. You remember I say he helps you in decision making. That's why I say you have to appeal to God. You have to listen. He says, Abraham, listen at Sarah, your wife. Send Hagar away. So that was unnatural for a man to do that. But God intervened. God told him to do these things. But also, what did he tell him? He says, I'll make that child a nation. He made Hagar's son, Ishmael, a nation. He told Abraham he was going to take care of Hagar. So you see where divine intervention comes in, where God comes in. 
So when Sarah and when Abraham sends her away, that Hagar is crying. She don't want to see the child die. She sent the child away from her because he's going to die. They are on their last wing here in the middle of the desert. They've been cast out. God calls to Hagar, doesn't he? Yes. And he says, here's water, here's provision. He took care. And to this day, Hagar is still, Ishmael is still a nation. They're fighting or whatever. But Abraham is the what? The father of many nations. So those nations that God sent away, those nations God calls back under his son because why? what I tell you, Abraham was Jew, a Jew, right? right? Well, he wasn't actually a Jew, but the Jews come from Abraham because Judah, the tribe of Jew, Judah is where the Jews come from. Right. But Abraham, they, they call him Abraham the Jew. But anyhow, Ishmael, Gentile, right? right? Anything that's not a Jew is a Gentile. Right. He's a light unto us because we're Gentiles also. That's why I say he give us the light. Jesus Christ is a light for us. We believe in Jesus Christ. That was the Jews' problem, that they believe in Moses and the law, but the law was weak through the flesh because all of those carnal decisions. Remember I said it was weak through the law. Yes, that, that's where it was, was through the flesh. That was a carnal decision, Abraham, but he had faith. He trust God. He believed in God. That's why he, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Because why? He was looking unto the one that made the promise. We're looking unto the promises of God. Those promises are yea, yea in Jesus Christ. Unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you have no life in you. He's that bread that came down from heaven. That's the manna that cometh down. Unless you eat of him. In other words, he's the bread of life. That's who we're trusting in, the promises of God. That's why all of these words I'm giving you, he was the word made flesh. He's your wisdom. He's your knowledge. He's your understanding. He's your all in all. Because God had made it so in Jesus Christ that all nations, not just one nation, that's why I say the Jews are killing the Palestinians, the Palestinian Israel is killing the Palestinians over there. But we're to love all men. He says all nations. All nations. If you have children and they've been one astray of whatever life, you still love your children. Don't let anyone stop you from praying for your family, your relatives. Don't do these things. Put those things in God's hands. All of those are in God's hands. So he says, He's unto life. Psalms 48 and 14 says, For this is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. So this God from the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament that's talking to me now. You may go from church to church. Sometimes you and this church may not agree or this individual, but don't ever get to the point where you don't agree with God, the spirit that's in you. You trust God. Man may go astray. Paul told the people, you follow me as I follow Christ. Because men may change. Men's ways may change. 
But God never changes and his word never changes. He's trying to bring you under his promises uh, by wise counsel, by wise counsel, the promises of God. All of these scriptures, I, I take email to you or whatever, but look at the scripture. He says, Psalm 73 and 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me unto honor. The living says you will keep on guiding me all of my life with your wisdom and knowledge and afterward receive me into glory. Okay, so it's Christ in you. Those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And if you are born again, you can only walk in God at your pace or the pace that God's bringing you. He says, I have many things to tell you, but some truth you cannot receive yet. Some things you may not be strong enough to receive. So there are other Christians that may be stronger than other Christians or live a certain way. But if God births himself into you, it's the little small still voice within you that's trying to speak louder and louder and lead you in the way. The born again voice. Not the old man. Now you're going to have to wrestle with him. Paul tells us about the old man, the old man in Romans 7 and 8, 7th chapter and 8th chapter, that when you tempt to do good, as evil is right there. That's why I say the decision you making, make sure it's not a carnal decision. You might have went down that road before and made that decision before and look at the way it turned out. This time you want to follow Christ. You want Christ to be in that because that same God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. And this is what he said in the Old Testament. He says, And thy ear shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left hand, that voice is the Holy Spirit that God, Jesus Christ, has sent to dwell and live in you. Amen. He's going to guide you and lead you in the truth. But you have to be obedient unto that voice, that messenger in the, of the covenant that was in the Old Testament that Moses says he wasn't going to go unless God would go with him. And he says he's going to send an angel with him, which was the messenger of the covenant. Jesus Christ is the messenger of the covenant that was sent in the New Testament. He sent that word. Will that word come to dwell within us? But Jesus Christ said he was going away because he wanted you to keep the physical concept of God the Father, God the Son. So this other comforter he was going to send to live in you, it was the Holy Spirit. He's your paraclete. He's the helper. He's the one that's going to lead, but he's going to testify of Jesus Christ. Amen. The show that they were synonymous is that Jesus Christ says, I and the Father would come and live within you. We would make a boat with you. So you at one with Jesus Christ with the Godhead. The Spirit is leading you, but he's testifying of Christ. He's the one that's going to guide and lead you into all truth. Uh, John 16 and 13, it says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truths, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you of things to come. Amen. 
This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. His spirit shows you these things. You know what the word initiative means? Of his own initiative. In other words, this is not of himself. It says this in the Amplified. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth that is full and complete truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. In other words, this didn't originate with him. This originated with Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. This word was the word that was with God in the beginning. He doesn't initiate anything. He's speaking what Jesus gave into him. He's guiding and leading you into all truth because he was sent to live in you as the paraclete. But don't grieve the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. As that spirit is leading and guiding you, you must have faith in that. That, That's something. And I told you, I've taught and spoke on something. That's something. When you say something told me to do that, something told me to do you need to start listening at something, but you start needing to find out who or what that something is. Because there are two somethings that are in you. There's the spirit of God. There's the spirit of man. He said, try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Now, they speak not according to this word. He's not going to contradict the word of God. He's not The spirit doesn't contradict the word of God. So it has to be a discernment there. You remember I tell you the discernment of spirit, an understanding of those spirits. Now, that still small voice gets louder. It gets louder as you walk in Christ. It may not get to the point as in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, the uh, 10th chapter, with Peter, and it says, while Peter was thoughtfully considering the vision, the spirit said unto him, now listen, three men are coming to looking for you. Get up and go downstairs with and go with them without hesitating or doubting because I have sent them. The spirit may not speak to you that profoundly now. But if you're growing, you remember I tell you, fasting and praying, if you're building spiritual muscle, it's given to you, the Spirit is given to you without measure, but it's by ever-increasing faith. You have to have ever-increasing faith. In other words, faith grows from that of a mustard seed, but to that faith like Peter had to step out on the water. But where Peter's faith ended was, that he still was prone to circumstances and looking around him and losing focus upon Jesus. That's why I say fasting and praying and keeping our focus on Jesus and not on the pleasures or the things of this life. If we give them up, give them up living sinfully and keep our eyes on Jesus, anything is possible to us. That's why when Jesus came down from the mountain, Jesus was always praying and fasting. He was always in the spirit. He was given the spirit without measure. 
But he come down on the mountain and he got this big old argument going on. And these guys said, look, Jesus, I came to your disciples and asked them to help me. My child, my son here, he, he's a lunatic. You know, what does lunatic mean? Lunatic has to do with the moon. The people doing that day, a lot of them were moon worshipers or whatever. And they say the moon, the different things, has effect upon you, have certain effects upon you. That's what you think your horror pictures and things are based upon. Upon these things, because they say, well, when a full moon, he's going to turn into a werewolf or a vampire or something like that. That the moon, the seasons had effect on people. Say so he's a lunatic. Or he thought often cast himself into the fire, into the things or whatever. And I asked your disciples, I asked them to help me, but they couldn't help me. He says, Jesus said, well, look, anything is possible to those that believe. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Jesus took him and he looked at his disciples. He said, how long, ye of little faith, how long shall I have to put up with you? And Jesus took it and he cast the devil out. The devil come out of him. Peter and them guys said, Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? He says, this kind goeth out but by prayer and fasting. Yes. That's the only way this kind go out by prayer and fasting. Now, is there stages to these devils? That's why I say ever increase in faith because you can, there's power in Jesus' name. And yes. anybody who uses Jesus' name, you know, it's power in that. If you don't think there's power in Jesus' name, look at the book of Acts. The seven sons of Skebas was yes. devils. Yes. They went out and they say, in the name of Jesus, we command you to come out. Devils come out. Say, okay, we, we know Paul. You said about Paul. We know Paul. Jesus we know. But who are ye? And they jumped on those men and tore them up. They ran out because it's in Jesus' name they're subject to you. That's why he told his disciples when his disciples came back to him and said, Oh, Lord, the devil's a subject that we cast out devil. We did all that. He said, Look, rejoice not. That the devil is a subject under you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, didn't Judas have that power? He went yes. out with those seven yes. cast out devils. Yes. Didn't he give them power to go out around? I, I don't see why he took it back. But they were casting out demons and devils. But he told them not to go to the Gentiles. To go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But notice that. There were certain demons that it says only goeth out by prayer and fasting. Yes. This was a whole nother level. Yes. There's a level of demons. That's why I say some of us put in the extra credit work, the extra bonus work, but you have to be dedicated to God. People can't come first. You eating is secondary unto me. It is. Because you're an apostle, you're saying that? Because they're not feeding my, my, my mama. They're not feeding my... I, I have to work and I'm do, I got a family and everything. The widows are not being taken care of. Mm. Peter said, well, look, I tell you what. Let us get some... Y'all choose some good men among y'all. Y'all choose seven good men and we go call them deacons. We go dedicate them to the taking care of the widows and the, let them run the church. To this day, deacons really run the church and do all the legwork. Why? Because Peter 
had a commission from Jesus Christ. He says, Peter, you get all that denying men going on. Do you love me? He said, yeah, Lord, I love. Feed my sheep. You love me? Feed my lambs. Did it three times, right? right. Say, Lord, you know I love you. So when the people come to Peter, you remember I told you people get you sidetracked? When they're trying to get Peter sidetracked, Peter says, okay, as an apostle, I'm going to put deacons and things here. I'm going to delegate this to them because I have to give myself to the studying of the word of God, fasting and prayer. See, fasting and prayer, it's, you have to study to show yourselves approved. That's why Paul was a much higher apostle than the rest of them, because he was a Pharisee. In other words, he knew the law. And don't get me wrong, as I earlier told you earlier, that religion is important. But there are false religions, there are false apostles, Satan's angels changing themselves to ministers of light. And that's why I told you, in these latter days, it's about religion. Jesus was out in the wilderness, hungry, a hunger. It says the spirit had driven him out in the wilderness these 40 days to be hungry. But you remember I told you it was a divine fast. God was with him because if it's not a divinity, Fasting is dangerous also because after two or three days, then your body is 98% water. After two or three days, if you're not eating or drinking, your body starts to feed up on itself. And you're dehydrated and a doctor will have to bring you off that if you make it through that. Mm. 40 days is a long time. You can't do without the water in 40 days. So that's why I say God was with those two examples with Moses on the mountain, Jesus in the wilderness. God was doing that. And I tell you about Dick Gregory in the seventies. He had a fast that was that long or whatever, but it was doctors attending to him at that time. But your innards would start to collapse upon itself and everything without water. You go to give blood and you don't be in drunk water or whatever. It's hard to get that blood out your veins or whatever. That's why your blood pressure go up if you're not drinking a lot of water because you're 98% water. The lower your blood pressure is, the more you're drinking water, but it gets higher if your blood gets thicker. It's harder for your heart to pump it because you don't drink much water. You're drinking cold drinks and things. Those things really dehydrate you. Okay, I got way off track. I got where I was. Okay, but Jesus was fasting. And so I'm not going to be able to give you everything I have here today. We'll finish this Wednesday. But he says, giving themselves to meditating in the word of God. So I would advise you to fast on a day that you don't have a whole lot of other things going to where you can pray, you can study the word of God and meditate in the word of God. But I wouldn't have a lot of other things incorporated into that time. But we have to have God's word written up on our heart. They were in the desert. They were away, but they were meditating on God's word. We meditate on God's word day and night. We're like a cow that ruminates. We assimilate God's word until it becomes our life's blood. Mm -hmm. He is our life. He's eternal life. Heavenly Fathers, I come before.